Welcome to the Sun, Salt, Light Teachings and Podcast, where we would love for you to know and grow in the Son, Jesus Christ, and be the salt and light of Christ everywhere you go. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Michael Petit of Calvary Chapel Divine, Texas. This radio ministry is actually a ministry sponsored by Calvary Chapel Divine. You can find out more information about the church at calvarydivine.org. Their service times are at 10 a.m. on Sunday, as well as Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. They're located at the VFW in Divine, Texas at 211 West College Avenue. Remember, you can get more teachings, the digital devotion, the podcast, and listen to the radio station, Sun, Salt, and Light, through calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. So I entitled this simply, Is There a Cornerstone in Your Life or Have You Rejected It? Is there a cornerstone in your life or have you rejected it? Very simply, quick Spoiler alert, the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And a lot of people have rejected it, unfortunately. We'll look at it in three parts. Rejected messengers in verses 1 through 5. Rejected son in verses 6 through 9. And then rejected cornerstone in verses 10 through 12. So, let's kind of catch you up. We just finished chapter 11, and and we're in our last week, or the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. So we had Jesus ride in on the colt, and it seems like it was so long ago, but he rode in on the colt, and uh, the triumphal entry, and and he was uh, celebrated as a king, and uh, they, they, they screamed out, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is, is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. Then he goes from there and he cursed the fig tree because he looked at it and there was no fruit on it. It looked healthy, but there was no fruit. Then he goes in to flip the tables the next morning as, the, uh, as, as he goes into the temple. And when he goes into the temple, he's flipping tables and chasing out the money changers uh, because they had taken what the temple was supposed to be. The temple was supposed to be a light to the nations. It was supposed to be a witness of who God is truly in a place of prayer and a symbol of love and a place for the outcasts and the poor and it wasn't because they made it into a, a place of business, a place of commerce, a place to walk through. It was no longer a place of prayer. So the next morning as they were, saw the, the fig tree you know, Peter was astonished because he, he noticed that the fig tree had been decayed. It died. And um, Jesus had told him, have faith in God. And then he goes on to tell him about the importance of prayer. And actually trusting God and asking for that prayer to be answered. I just realized we can't see you again. <laughs> and, um, and so we... Uh, we talk, one of the things he talked about was standing for prayer, but he also talked about the importance of not just standing for prayer and asking and standing boldly and saying, if that mountain's going to move over there, it's going to move. But forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness. And that was, that's a hard lesson. Very hard lesson. Then finally, last week, we had the major league of religious leaders show up the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes from the temple, the best of the best. And they tried to challenge Jesus by questioning His authority. Jesus did not answer. Jesus questioned them because He is the chief priest. And the the thing that was really sad is they answered Jesus, these, these wonderful minds of theology that knew everything about God, studied and studied the law, And yet they said to Jesus in Mark chapter 11, verse 33, we do not know. When Jesus asked asked the question, they answered Jesus, we do not know. And if He is our Lord, one of the things we talked about is this, yes, Lord. Not maybe. Not no. And then what happens is we go from that discussion to Jesus teaching in the temple. A lot happened in chapter 11. Chapter 12 is going to be the same way. It's going to be very impactful the next 
the next uh, I'm hoping we get through this before fall starts and I'll and then I'll figure out what book I've been praying about what book we're gonna go to and I, I will tell you this on Wednesday night if you've never learned from the book of Genesis I would encourage you to come on Wednesday night because we're gonna do Genesis verse by verse we're gonna go through it and it's a great book so I, I would encourage you to do that and that'll start the week after um, Labor Day, that Wednesday. Um, and so we see Jesus enter the temple. And now when, when Jesus comes to the temple, there's not a lot of parables in the book of Mark. He didn't cover a lot of them. The ones he did cover he uh, were important uh, as, as, as he shares them. And uh, to remember the, the parables, one of the things that we will see is there's a couple of scriptures that match the parables. So Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, and Psalm 118.2, or, or, yeah, Psalm 118.22, I'm sorry. And, uh, and those will be the two verses as we, we dive into this. Now, what people need to understand is, is that there are times when we think, man, I, I am a, a walking Christian that's under construction. And we do have God's grace for the journey. But there will be a time when God's grace comes to an end. Now, we love verses like Psalm 103.8 that says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We love that verse. Right? People will use that as their life verse. Or they'll use 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises as some count as slowest, but his patience towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but they, uh, that all should reach repentance. And people will use that verse. But at some point, his slowness will come to an end. His just and his justice will come. And grace is limited. At some point, it's going to come to an end. When Jesus returns and God comes to judge. And, and, and so people think that they have all this time to, to, to accept or reject Jesus or to not even, not even make a decision. But none of you are promised tomorrow. None of us are. You see, many of us are, are, are thinking to ourselves that, that, you know, God's judgment won't run out on this earth but it will it's in scripture it tells us so a couple things before we get into this and i put this in the bulletin so if you if the bulletin is online too so if you ever go man i forgot the bulletin and i forgot the time for the it's online so it, you can find it there uh a couple things about the parable uh the 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 vine dresser that is the rulers of israel are the tenants is it depending on what translation you have? Uh, the servants that are sent, those are the prophets. The beloved son is Jesus. There you go. And then the Lord of the vineyard is God. The vineyard is a representation of the nation of Israel. And Jesus is the cornerstone. I just want to make sure y'all understand that as we get into this. Uh, the first thing we'll look at is the rejected messengers. And it says, And he began to speak to them in parables in verse 1. So a parable is actually to cast a story alongside the truth and to teach a certain principle. So he's going to cast that story, but remember what I told you. Psalm 118.22, that's your truth. And Isaiah verses uh, 5, verses 1 through 7, that's your truth. And he's going to cast those out because they should know those. And there are people in the crowd that knows those. Now, in the crowd, you have your, your elders and your scribes and, and your Sadducees, Pharisees, they're all in the crowd. This is all happening in the temple. You have a largely Jewish audience that's listening to this. So they would understand this. And so he's speaking to them to make sure everybody understands. Not just the smart theologians, but everybody. And that's actually how the Word of God should be taught. 
sometimes we try, we make it more than what we need to make it, and we got to be careful with that. It's, you know, the other thing is is there, they, that he's speaking primarily to people who are farmers, people who actually had uh, that had vineyards, are are farmed, and they understood what the harvest was. They understood that there would be a coming. Uh, grapes or, or, or there would be a common place in the culture. They would understand that the, the leasing of the land, all of this would be common to them. And so they would have picked up on this. And, and for some of us, it's not common to us, but that's why I'm giving you all this so you know. In verse 1, it continues, A man planted a vineyard and put a fence, uh, fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased to its tenants and went into another country so God plants the vineyard and puts a fence around it a hedge of protection so to say right and and the wine press is where the grapes get crushed and and they produce uh, the the wine that's going to be made they get put into wine skins so they would go and fill the wine skins up the tower itself was a lookout it was also a place of shelter and shade for the workers and so Jesus is actually referring to Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. So let's read that. It says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a, on a very fertile hill. He dug it, and he cleared it of stones, and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for... It to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And oh, uh, and now, O oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What was, uh, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have done uh, that I have not done in it? So what he's saying is, God is saying, look, I've everything that you need, I've done. It's there. But you keep producing wild grapes because of your what? Your sin. Your rebellion. And goes on and it says, And now I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will remove its hedges, and it shall be devoured. I will break it down, break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed or briars or thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that the rain no rain upon it. The vin- uh, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are pleasant planning. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. It's like the only thing that they're producing is wild grapes. He looked for justice and righteousness, but there was none. And it goes back to remind us that Jesus is the true vine in John chapter, one, uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. John 15, verses 1 through 5. It says, I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dressers. That's one of the I am statements in the book of John. Uh, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not uh, bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The verse that that you need to remember is verse 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches who abide to me, and I in him. And he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything. And so we see now, as Jesus is casting out the story, there's truth from the book of Isaiah, chapter 5. When the season came, back in verse 2, he sent a, a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed again he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and they treated him shamefully and he sent another and and him they killed and so with uh, many others some they beat and some they killed the prophets tortured uh, they were beaten and they were killed so God's messengers with the message of the Lord are tortured beaten and killed Every time the the nation of Israel would pull away in their rebellion, God would send a messenger. And they would kill him. 
Matthew chapter 23, verses 33 through 36. Jesus is speaking here. Your serpents, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? He's talking to the religious leaders. Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, and, and, and of some you will kill and crucify. And some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that you may come, uh, so that on you may come all the righteousness bloodshed on earth, from blood of uh, righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Barakiah, uh, uh, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So they. We know that in, uh, the tradition says that Isaiah was actually sawn in two. And, and John the Baptist was recently just beheaded, right? And they keep killing the messengers of God, but who is Zechariah? Let's turn to Second uh, Chronicles 24, verses 17-21. It says, Now after the death of Joadiah, the princes of Judah uh, came and pride, uh, paid homage to the king, then the king listened to them, and they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and they served Ashram and the idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for their, this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring, uh, to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. The Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jodiah, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, what, what, why do you break the commandments of the Lord? So that you cannot prosper. Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him. And by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. They killed him. They've been killing the messengers. And they're going to kill Jesus as well. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, it says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have, ga I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. They weren't willing. And we spoke about that last week. Uh, you're not willing. You're not willing to walk away from your rebellion. You want to stay in it. But God sends messengers to you. This is even for you as believers. Are you turning God's messengers away from you? There'll be somebody that God sends to speak truth in your life through the Holy Spirit. I don't want to hear it. And you send them away. Or you send her away. Because why? If it's something that you're doing that's rebelling against God, you're not going to receive it well, are you? And so what do we do? We push the messengers of the Lord away. And we have to be careful with that. God uses, uses other believers. God will actually use an angel as well if He has to. To wake you up. Let's look at the next part, the rejected son. In verses 6 through 9. So they rejected the messengers. Now they're going to reject the son. He had still one, in verse 6, he had still one another, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. Isn't it funny? They will respect my son. I'm reading this, and they haven't respected Jesus at all. They've done nothing but persecute Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry. He was kicked out of his town. They try to kill him. They've come against him. They try to bring the best minds to, to try to trick him so he could be stoned to death. They didn't respect Jesus. But I love that it says beloved son. And in the Greek, that word for beloved son actually means only one son. Just one. So for those who teach the false teaching... Because there are some that say that, that in their teaching that Jesus is the brother of Satan. It's in Scripture. If you just read Scripture, 
It's in the interpretation of the Scripture. That word, beloved son, in the Greek means only one son. He didn't have multiple sons. But that's what you see people teach. And so you need to be aware of that. Uh, when, when Jesus was being baptized, in Mark chapter 1, verse 11, it says, And the voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son. We have the picture of the Trinity. Jesus being baptized, the dove ascending, and God speaking. The Trinity. All in that verse, or those verses. And I love what he says, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. You know, as a father, I think that's probably something I need to say more to my sons. My son, Mike, he works hard, man. He's been traveling non-stop and sacrifices a lot and as a father I'm well pleased to both my sons but why does it have to be said from a pulpit right show me the father how many of y'all have seen that movie Kendrick Brothers uh, the guys who made Courageous, I would recommend every one of you to watch Show Me the Father. Any of you that have had struggles with your father, you need to watch it. There's um, Tony Evans. Um, there's a couple of football players, Pete Carroll's, one of Pete Carroll's coaches that actually is a disciples young men. Um, it, Eddie George is in it, uh, running back for Tennessee. But it's really good. And the, the founder of Focus for the Family and his testimony, wow. But uh, one of the pastors, Pastor uh, Dan Yurte from uh, Prevailing Word was like, you gotta see this movie, Mike. And I watched it and it was good really good. I think me and Teresa are going to try to watch it tonight, hopefully. <laughs> if we get time. and you know, We'll see at all. Uh, the other thing we see as beloved son is it was in the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9 verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Right? So the father sent his son as an act of grace. An act of grace. And that's the same grace that we're supposed to give to others. We're supposed to provide that grace and that love and that mercy as followers of Christ too. It says in verse 7 in Mark chapter 12, it says, But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So you can really see that that's actually talking about the religious leaders in this. Remember now, they plotted against Joseph as well. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 20, it says, Come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. You know, it, it, as you see that, the brothers were trying to kill Joseph. The religious leaders are trying to kill Jesus. And you know what it means? They don't like Christians. They struggle with that you follow something that's truth. That's what's wrong right now. That's what the world is struggling with right now. Is they're struggling with the, the understanding that you just remind them of what they rejected. The truth. You're that guy or that girl that comes in on time that doesn't take an extended lunch, that does things by the books, and you do it because why? That's what God called you to do. And so they hate you for that. You're the parent that says, no, uh, my kids won't go to see that movie. I'll go ahead and go. And they go, what's wrong with them? 
In John 15, verses 18 through 19, it says, If the world hates you, know that, the, that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are one of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not one uh, of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. They struggle with, with Christians. And we can see that so apparently today. Just with the recent, you know, Supreme Court decision. They're struggling with it. And and the reason that, that we we have to talk about this is because you you're the world is going to reject the truth of Christ. And when it rejects the truth of who Jesus is, they hate what that represents. And that's why they say, my body, my choice. But they don't understand what the Scripture says, that God created you in the womb. And, and so they, they hate you for that position. And see, they, they, they want to live their lives their way. I heard something this week. The pastor was... And it was sad because it's progressive Christianity. He pulled some verse out of Deuteronomy and starts saying that God is pro-choice. And I was like, you have taken the Scripture completely out of context. But he is teaching a whole congregation in Seattle. And that's what's happening. We have false teachers in the church. The church is being devoured from within. Because we're not, we're not checking that stuff. You know, you're supposed to be Bereans. You're supposed to be checking what I teach. But they hate it. They reject it. And, and so, one of the things that, that, that they struggle with is they don't struggle with the, the aborted... The, the aborted child is something that they use to deal with their sexual morality. They were being promiscuous. They were having... Sex outside the marriage. And so what happens is, is you, you're actually committing sin. It's sexual morality. But what the government did is said, hey, we can, we can give you a way out. You can take a pill, plan B. You can go get an abortion. And so now they don't have that. Now they have to deal with the risk of, hey, I can get pregnant. And not deal with the sin. See, when a Christian looks at the ruling, we look at the ruling based upon no child should be killed. We look at the ruling based upon what does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God say about sexual morality? What does the Word of God say about the marriage bed? See, we see this happening more and more today. We, we see those that don't want to live for truth. And when somebody stands up for truth, they knock them down. We see people that want to live in an open marriage. Just watch, watch the Red Table Talk with Will and Jada. How does that working out for you? That, that marriage is a train wreck. But they want an open marriage. And that goes against what? God's Word. We have superstars and celebrities like Dwayne Wade and Jennifer Lopez that allow their children to transition from boy to girl and from girl to boy and they allowed him to do it at a very young age and we look at the word of God and it says in, in scripture that God created a male and female so they hate me for that because they want to live their life their way but it goes even further that's what I was saying if you work for a boss and he's trying to do shady stuff and he's cutting on taxes and cheating his employees and you call him out on it, he's going to hate you for it. But you're standing for truth because it's wrong. It goes against the Word of God. We live our life based upon the Word of God. And that's what Jesus did. He came in and He reminded them of truth. He reminded them of truth of of why it is that we follow God. 
It's an abiding, a, abiding love for Christ that we have. It's a relationship that we have. We don't do it because we want to flaunt it in somebody's face. We do it because that's what we're called to do as followers of Christ. See, what they want to do is they want to erase God from our culture, from our, from our government. They've already tried to do it in the schools. Because it, it, when, when God is involved, there, there is justice and truth. That's what this nation was founded on. And see, when we decide that we want to erase God from our lives, what you're doing is you're taking control of your earthly and eternal destination. When you reject Him, or you don't accept Him, you just don't even have an opinion on it. That eternal destination is there, and unfortunately it's, it's utter foolishness to rebel against God and sin. And they can get mad at me all they want. I didn't make the rules up. They're God's rules. I'm just trying to follow them. And I, I fail at it too. And I was a sinner too. And I used to rail against the machine as well as everybody else did. And I lived in sexual morality just like everybody else did. But at some point, I gave my life to Christ and gave my heart to the Lord. And I started following Him. And I realized how sinful I was and how much I needed a Savior. See, Jesus comes in. Remember I told you last week, Jesus comes in to interfere and to crash into your life to make a decision. And these religious leaders are not wanting to lose their power and their titles and their prestige. They don't want to lose their political agendas because they want to control the temple and the world. And let me tell you something. There is going to be a one world order. Daniel, we just talked about this in Daniel. Uh, as we dove into the book of Daniel, Daniel actually spoke about it and spoke about the Antichrist. And it's sad to say that, that it'll be the religious leaders that give the Antichrist a stamp of approval. The same way that Caiaphas did for the Roman Empire. And the same way that some religious leaders are doing for this administration even though they're doing what's wrong. Because let me tell you something, when you have a world economic, an economic forum that is pushing a one world order, and they have no problem telling you that it's a one world order. And then we have an administration that turns around and calls it a liberal world order on Friday. Both the president and the economic advisor. I did not know we had taken over the world. I thought we were doing what was best for Americans. We have to stand up and call this stuff out. It's wrong. It has nothing to do with, with right or left. It's just wrong. We know that there's been problems that are happening from, from the current decisions that are being made. I mean, we can see it in our own community. They ran out of food for the last food bank. They were out. They didn't have enough. The food pantry is getting new people in droves. People are hurting. And, and what we need to be praying for is our leaders to do what's best for Americans. Not just some, but all. And that's as Christians what we should do. But when you say that, they hate you. Even when, when Peter was healing the crippled man, he had to speak to Caiaphas and the religious leaders. And he tells them, basically, the blood of Jesus Christ is on your hands. In Acts chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Let it be known to all of you, and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, you crucified him, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. See, this is the one thing that I do know, is I serve the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and it doesn't matter 
what president, prime minister, what, what world leader, what king, what, what prince, it doesn't matter. The king of kings is who we serve. And he's bigger than all of them. And God is not going to stand as His people come and pray and seek Him. He will step in. But sometimes I think what's happening is, is to wake us up. Our job is to share the gospel. That's what God's calling us to do. Our job is to stand for truth with love. And that's hard to do. If you're, if you're running out there, I was thinking of Sarah's guitar, but I won't do it. But if you run out there and you start beating them in the head, and saying, hey, you need to hear this truth. There's no love in that. There's no love in that. And we need to remember that. Back to chapter 12 and verse 8. It says, and they took him and killed him. And they threw him out of the vineyard. In Hebrews 13, verses 12 and 13, it says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured did you catch that bear the reproach he endured and things we're going through the trials the tribulations the sufferings we're, we're supposed to go through these things but they're to bring glory to Christ in verse 9 it says what will the owner of the, the vineyard do and he will come and destroy the tenants and give them the vineyard to others. And I love what it says in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. This is the parallel verse in the Synoptic Gospel. It says, He will come and destroy the tenants and the vineyards and others. And when they heard this, they said, Surely not! Surely not that won't happen. It's going to happen. Everything you own, everything that's here will be burned up. Will be a new earth, a new heaven. It's gone. That's why we're supposed to have a, a light touch on the things of this earth. But see what happens is they rejected the beloved Son. And this would bring judgment to, to Israel. Now this is temporary judgment. In Romans chapter eleven, verse twenty five it says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of the mystery, so that you will not be wise in his own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. So the gospel had to go out to the Gentiles. And, and so there will come a time when that last Gentile will give his life to the Lord. And that's it. It's done. And everything's going to go into motion. Just remember that Jesus is the forerunner. John the Baptist declared to the, the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, the axe is already laid at, at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So we receive, we've seen the rejected messengers, the rejected son, finally the rejected cornerstone. And it says in, in this, and, he, and I can imagine, the only thing I could think of is as I read this is Jesus looking directly at those religious leaders and saying, have you not read this scripture? Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in your eyes. Think about this building with all the brick that's in this building. There is a cornerstone for this building. This used to be the high school. What is a cornerstone? The cornerstone is the actual stone that they use to measure and keep the diameters and everything for the building so it's made properly. The right, the right distance, the right width, the right height. If that cornerstone is off, the whole building's going to collapse. Because it's not built properly. You need the chief cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ in your life. Actually, the picture that I put on the, uh, uh, on the title for the, the teaching today actually shows a cornerstone. And usually when they have a cornerstone that's been put in, that's where the, they, the guy comes in and they align it up 
you know the, the the surveyors come in and they get everything set up properly and they're marking everything and the architect goes okay this is where we got to start this is the starting point and the whole building's built and if anything's missed on any of those plans and you've messed up the cornerstone you're going to mess up the building it's going to look like a ramp that i built for my son when i did the skateboard ramp there was no cornerstone we just we just kind of eyeballed it first kid went down <laughs> it was too steep the first kid went down and i'm lucky i didn't get a lawsuit it he went flying and the skateboard went and boom he hit his head and then none of the other kids wanted anything to do with it i had no cornerstone i had no plan I had rejected the plans of sitting down and writing anything out. I just was like, let's go buy some wood. Let's figure it out. It was fun building it. But it took all of two minutes for that child to go down that ramp. And then nobody else wanted anything to do with it. It took us like three weeks to build that thing. Two or three weeks. So, again, we talked about the parable. He's going to cast a, a truth alongside of it. So this is Psalm 118.22 that he's casting alongside of it. Psalm 118.22 says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So this is very simply for us to remember that Jesus is the stone that you either trip over in your own self-righteousness or He's the rock that you'll build your life upon. You're either going to trip over it, it's going to be a stumbling block, or it's going to be the, the rock that you build your life upon. Isaiah 28:16 says, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who is laid as the foundation in Zion, his own te a, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be at haste. And then also the Apostle Paul spoke about it in Romans chapter 9, verse 33. It is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And then again in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4-8, through 8, this is very important because you're seeing this over and over and over in Scripture, the cornerstone. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built upon spiritual houses to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a, st a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word and they were destined to. So you simply see what happens is you're either going to stumble or reject it or you're going to accept it and build your life upon it. Now Daniel talked about this as he looked at that great statue and in the very end, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 45, it says, Just as, uh, as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, uh, a great God has made known uh, to the king that shall be after this. This is the dream is certain, and the interpretation is true. What he's saying is, all those nations, they're going to hit the chief cornerstone and break they're going to break because Jesus is the cornerstone Jesus came in as the lamb but he's coming back as the conquering king so they don't want to hear that what do they want to hear God is love God doesn't want to love you to hell God wants you to understand that you're rebelling against Him and that you are a sinner and you need forgiveness of your sin. Yes, God loves you. But we talked about it last week. Is, is God weeps for you. He doesn't want to see you rebelling. 
He wants that right relationship with you. There's no more evidence of a stumbling block at the very end of somebody's life than the two criminals on the cross. I was trying to think about this and I was like, Lord, is there an example of this? I want you to hear this. In Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43, it says, One of the criminals who were, uh, were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That word railed. That word railed in the Greek actually means to hurl abuses, insults, and to blaspheme and evil and revile God. Jesus, the chief cornerstone, Hanging on the cross, and that guy's going to be gangster all the way till the way to, to hell. You have the other criminal who's saying he didn't do anything like we did. We're guilty. Confessing. He's he he's God. Remember me when you get. Remember me. And so you have one who's actually stumbling on the cross, crucified, taking his probably very last breaths, and he's still rejecting Christ. And there will be people like that, sadly. The chief cornerstone is a stumbling block for them. And you have the, the, the other two things that are shown there. One's destination, hell. That's what being gangster got them. The other des destination, heaven. And that short time he built his life upon Jesus Christ. His last breaths probably. And yes, yet he's remembered. You'll see me in paradise. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18 it says, For though uh, through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the households built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, I love that because as Christians we are built upon each other. And we're built upon not just the work that Jesus Christ did, the cornerstone, but the apostles and the prophets. The work that we do as believers, as followers of Christ. So, you know, is he our cornerstone? That's the question you have to ask yourself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, it says, According to the grace of God given to me, I, like a skilled master, build a laid foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds it for no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid which is Jesus Christ so remember I told you that Jesus doesn't share his authority well Jesus is not going to allow any other false god to lay a foundation Buddha or Muhammad or anyone else there's only one foundation it's Jesus Christ and that's what the world hates that's what they hate and finally, the last verse here. You can go, go ahead and come on up, sir. Uh, in verse 12, it says, And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived, so they had 
he had told uh, he had told the parable against them, so they left him and went away. So even after they heard the word of God, or they heard God share this parable and the truth that comes from the parable, sadly, they still, the religious leaders, want to kill him. Their hearts are that hard. They had an encounter with Christ and they refused, and that chief cornerstone has become a stumbling block to those religious leaders. They rejected him. Imagine sitting in a sermon or being taught by Jesus at the temple and you reject him. So the question I have to ask you is, is there a cornerstone in your life? Or have you rejected it? Knowing that Jesus is the cornerstone, have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? So today is Communion, Communion Sunday. So Communion is for uh, believers of Christ. And it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 and 28, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so and eat the bread and drink of the cup. So if you're watching this online or you pick this up on the podcast later, if you want to become a follower of Christ, if you want to give your heart to Christ, if you want to make him your chief cornerstone, there are four things that we must do. One, we have to admit that we're a sinner. And then we have to ask for forgiveness of those sins and turn from them. And then we need to believe that Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave and we receive Christ into our heart and we allow Him to lead our lives. It tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what is the penalty of sin? In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you earn forgiveness? No. In Romans 10, 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you want to receive Christ, if you're watching or catch this later, you can just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I ask forgiveness of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and you rose from the dead. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Guide my life. Fill my heart. Allow me to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.